0: There are days that define your story beyond your life. Welcome to 5-Minute Arrival.
1: The podcast where we look at the film arrival five minutes at a time. I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. Any questions? Where do they want? Where are they from? Why are they here? This is the priority. Our priority today, minutes 76 through 80 of Arrival, which begin with Costello swimming away. I have a correction really quick before we get into it. I said last episode that this was Max Richter's On the Nature of Daylight playing again, but this is actually a Johan Johansson track, Properties of Explosive Materials, which is mimicking Max Richter's, which is part of the bigger problem of why this soundtrack was disqualified for awards. Because not only did it use Richter, but copied it as well. So it creates a blur between the two composers.
2: The song that plays during this first minute, I found a very interesting choice because I thought if this was just a scene of a ticking bomb, it would have been a perfect song, and I thought if it was just a scene of someone, a close-up of someone's face trying to figure out a really difficult puzzle, it would have been a perfect song. And both of those things are going on in this minute. Yeah. So it was like it was it was like a doubly perfect song. It was just it was an incredible match. I felt of the choice of this song for this
1: scene. And, and at the same time, it's Johansson copying another song that played at the beginning of the film mm. uh, from Max Richter part of johansson's problem he was disqualified for awards on several movies is that he gives the director what they want and he gives the movie what it needs he mixes in other composers he does strange things with like some of the stuff he did in this movie that we've talked about with putting voices in instead of instruments and i don't think he cared if he got awards (laughs) yeah that wasn't why he's doing this he just wanted to give a good score and in this case that they had Max Richter's music in place, so he worked off of that and then went his own directions. We do have a guest, Eric Deutsch of Flash Gordon Minute and Escape from New York Minute.
2: Hello, I'm happy to be here on Earth dealing <laughs> with aliens instead of in yeah. some vortex dealing with aliens.
1: General thoughts, if you want to get them out of the way on Arrival first?
2: Sure, I was happy. I'm, I'm happy to be on here because I'd only seen the movie once before, and so this gave okay. me an excuse to watch it a second time. And I watched it actually with my 11-year-old son as well. And so it was very interesting watching it, not only knowing all of the twists and turns ahead of time, but watching it with someone else for the first time who is just starting to get into movies like this that kind of mess with your head a bit. I I really, I liked it better the second time, actually, knowing everything that was going to go on. I I actually enjoyed it more, being able to pick up on all the hints and the interesting things that you missed the first time seeing it. It was really interesting watching it with an 11-year-old because I could see his mind really trying to piece things together. And and I could, I could like, you know, look at him trying to figure things out. And, you know, we had to pause several times while he needed me to help him understand something that had just happened. And I treated it as I do when I help him with his homework, where I don't give him the answers. Instead, I sort of give him little hints and kind of help his brain move along so that he can kind of figure things out as well. And so it was, it was a very interesting viewing experience the second time watching it.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I love that feeling when you're watching somebody watch a movie that you like.
2: Yeah, especially
0: yeah. second time and just gauging their reactions and being able to talk to them about it as a parent I can relate too, to that. Wanting them to come to their own thoughts and just watching them yep. do that and have that experience. So that's yep. cool.
1: Now, as for this segment, as I said, it begins with Costello swimming away, and he leaves a lot of ink behind. We get shot of Louise, shot of Abbott. I like The movement of the alien here, I have a problem with them sometimes because they seem like they are on legs and not swimmers a lot of the time. Abbott settles on like two legs, puts four arms up, and is ready to just write everything. Mm. I would point out as the cloud of logograms Mm. comes out, Practically speaking, there is a lot of repetition in this cloud, but they don't expect us to be looking for that. Yeah, that's close. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Most people aren't going to be like you and just pause. No, I was like, like well, that's
1: that symbol twice. <laughs> yeah. That's that symbol reversed. One of them, it was like the symbol and the symbol reversed right next to each other. I'm like, that's not good planning.
2: <laughs> Even with this movie being relatively recent, the filmmakers did certainly were not aware of the movies by minute freaks that we are. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and louise takes a step back to take it in ian takes a step forward and i would note in the visual here that the door behind him is open we have mentioned in the script in the story the door closes when they're in there so the fact that they've been leaving early every time which we've complained about is possible at least the door stays open ian says louise we get a shot of the timer again. It is at 21 seconds. Goes to 20 and then 19. This is 29 seconds into this minute. So this is actually only off real time by a few seconds from when we last saw it. So they're nice. keeping it pretty well.
0: Before that part, I also like the shot. It's like we're watching Louise and Ian. I mean, oh, the we one from, went from behind, far behind them? Yeah. But yeah, we're yeah. watching like and experiencing their sense of awe and wonder of the mm-hmm. screen. Because in the earlier scenes... They're terrified at first, they're separate, and now it's like they're actually one with the heptopods, mm-hmm. and we're watching them kind well, that, of That's joining why their That's why heptapods. I like that
1: Louise steps back and Ian steps forward. It's like they go near each other when this gets more interesting in this moment, because we were just talking in the last few episodes about their relationship.
0: Exactly. So as they get closer with each other and with the heptopods and mm-hmm. their language, then that's how the shots are being filmed. And we're even behind the equipment.
1: Yes, which has been a mistake a couple times in that we also see this shot on the monitor inside the base, because that would mean there's another camera farther back, which there is not. And we get to more of that mistake later in this segment, actually. Abbott finishes writing, and we hear gunfire. And Louise says, what is that? There's voices down below. We get a view down the tunnel. We can't tell what's happening, because it's really far. We see Ian Louise from the side, and Abbott says something. We don't know what. Because I don't speak Heptapod. What? <laughs> <laughs> Not yet.
0: You no. didn't memorize all the sounds? Not the, the sounds, future. no.
1: <laughs> I've actually looked so many times at the list of locograms, I'm starting to recognize some of them on site.
0: Are you starting to have visions of the future? Mm-hmm. In the-
1: <laughs> I don't know.
2: Are you dreaming in their in their written language? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not yet. We get a shot of the glass out of focus, shot of Louise, a shot of the timer, which it's only off by like two seconds now. It's at 08 and down to 07, 06. 44 seconds in a bunch of shots in a row here the glass as abbott slams his hand on it and we get a smash cut to ian and louise from the side as they suddenly fall backward he's turned off the gravity essentially quick shot behind as they and the equipment fall and then another shot from the side of the same thing and the bomb falling which i, I like this touches the bomb explodes after it's falling because mm. it's 0201 right this is just ahead of real time because it were 51 seconds in and It explodes, and we smash cut to below as the fire fills the nave, and we get a weird reverse of Ian, Louise, and the equipment falling, and then a smash cut right back. I don't know why. And the nave closes off. This is where we're going to get a mistake. Because we get, it goes to black because the nave closed, and we smash to the explosion, and then to the audience watching in the monitor room, and they see the explosion. They can't see the explosion because the camera Gross. fell yeah. down. <laughs> but somehow they see the explosion even though the camera fell and the door closed.
2: Doesn't the the explosion isn't before hmm.
1: Well, it could just be an editing mistake where like the explosion happens and they just cut to the shot too late. Because at this point the door is closed, the camera shouldn't be there. But the hmm. it should be falling.
2: Would they not is it meant to be that the military, even though, you know, as as watchers of the movie can only watch one thing at a time but is it meant to be that maybe that we're seeing what they saw at the exact moment because the explosion happens and it it is happening for at least maybe like two seconds before the door actually closes
1: well but we cut the problem may be the edit yeah yeah okay. is that we cut yeah. to them seeing it after we've seen the door yeah close. yeah okay yeah. maybe they have a delay i don't know yeah yeah but they see the explosion and i would also point out some mistakes here and that the, one of the screens still shows abbott which they shouldn't have any camera pointed at Abbott anymore. And there shouldn't be a camera in the nave. And in another screen, it shows underneath the shell, and the scissor lift is down, which means after Ian and Louise went inside, the other soldiers had the wherewithal to lower the scissor lift and protect it from the explosion, for some reason. Because the soldiers are down there. They're small, but you can see them. And then we get the tunnel, Ian and Louise, and the equipment, and they come to a stop in like zero G inside the tunnel, which is a nice shot. And a shot from above. Well, the same, since I have a history of doing, I'm not going to do it in this movie, but a history of doing um, cinematic Christ figure calculations, yeah. like a paper I wrote in college and several times in my blog. <laughs> I would point out that both of their arms are out in a cruciform pose. When they're <laughs> <laughs> there. And it, we'll, maybe we'll come back to that when we talk about the heptapods as related to God again in some other segment.
2: Clearly, the heptapods know the bomb is about to go off. Yes, I mean, that's why Costello takes off. That's why Abbott is frantically trying to get this message out. That's why Abbott is is pushing them out. Yes. So if they live, they view time not linearly. Right. They they know things are going to happen. They know this is going to happen. Yes. They don't perceive time the way that we do. Um, I I had a a a problem with that that I might have come up with my own answer for. Okay. Uh, so I wonder what you two think. My problem with that is why is Abbott not pushing them out sooner? Why is he not moving away faster to save itself and not cutting it so close with Louise and Ian where he doesn't push them out till the bomb is exploding? What I came up with was, I thought of Dr. Manhattan and Watchmen, that even though he experiences time pretty much the same way the heptapods do or or perceives time, I guess I should say, that he can't change what happens to him because even though it has not happened yet, it already also has happened to him. And so I was figuring that's got to be the same reason. They know exactly what's going to happen, so they can't change it even though it hasn't happened because it also already has happened. Yes. Okay. Got
1: it. See, our impulse to try to understand it is to think of it as past, present, future still, but they don't have that distinction. Yeah. So essentially the present doesn't exist in, in the way they look at what needs to happen. Mm. Like still they have to do things because they do have to talk. Right. Because they will have talked. They had to teach Louise language because they had to teach, like, that's what happens. So they still have to do things, but they don't think of it like that. Just like Abbott isn't thinking of himself in this moment. Because for whatever reason, Ab- I don't want to So this is this really way. basic. I was but going then- to say Abbott has to die, but I don't want to say has to.
2: It's not necessarily that he has to. It's that he knows that he does is going to because yeah. he already has.
1: Basically. Mm-hmm. In this moment, yeah. what Abbott does is what Abbott will always have done. Yes
2: abbott knows that they cannot change that
1: yeah and wouldn't have an impulse to
2: right yeah
0: then in that sense are they not just passive observers and that's the whole like basic basic philosophical argument for everything free will doesn't exist and they're merely observers
1: of their own (laughs) see uh, yes (laughs) psychologically i think we'd have to say yes But it comes down to the same idea of like, how much are we beholden to our past? Like, we are the way we are in the present because of all these things that have Mm -hmm. happened to us. We can affect change and try to do other things, but then we're also doing that because of what happened in the past. It's the same thing, just in reverse. They have both. They have the past and the future, and they're always in the middle of it. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, it's, I think it's easy to sort of fathom, but hard to explain. Because our sentences are also set up that way.
0: Right. I mean, that would bring up a whole other argument that we also, this would not be popular. A lot of people are going to get upset. <laughs> yeah. But we also do not have free will. But because no. we cannot see the future, we perceive that we do. And so we.
1: Right. Free will is yeah. <laughs> just the label we put on this long list of things that are behind us that are causing us yeah. to do what we're going to do and this future that we're going to go into. As, as you say, yeah, we can't see it. So we think of it as we're making choices doing things, which we are. They also made choices when they, before they put the first writing on the glass, they backed out of the room and then they came yeah. back and wrote. They, I assume they went and had a conversation. Like, is this, this is the moment where we do this? Like, of course it is. They still had to have that conversation. Otherwise they never would have had that conversation, which is something I really like about this movie. It's the same reason I like time loop movies. It's like, yeah. it's not free will and determinism and like fate. But it also is, because the thing that happened has to happen, or has to have happened,
2: <laughs> and, and, and to them also already did happen. Right. right.
1: Plus, we don't know exactly, we don't get their explanation, we don't know how much they see of the future. They might get glimpses, just like she's getting of her daughter. The story explains it more that her version is far different from what she assumes they have, but the movie doesn't make that distinction.
0: Yeah, we don't know if they're actually in a space where everything is all at the same time, or that they're able to experience that so clearly. I I think in (laughs) the
1: story, she describes it similar to memory, like, you can't remember everything from your life. Right. But you can remember key moments, you can try to remember other things, but every time you remember something, it's altered by you trying to remember it. And the same thing would be true of the future, so... There's certainly some choice involved. It's just complicated, which is why it's fun to talk about.
2: Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Louise
1: jolts awake, and she slowly starts to get up. We hear Kettler saying, hey, 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 take it easy. You suffered a concussion, which I had to double check if you could get a concussion from that kind of injury. You can. Yeah. What some, I, th- I always yeah. think a concussions is coming from something hitting your head, but you can get them from the same. It's your really, head just being a jolt.
0: Yeah. If your brain is jolting against your skull for yeah. whatever reason, you can get a concussion.
1: And he says, just lay back. How do you feel? And she asked, how is Ian? I, I just edited the episode where we were talking about their relationship a lot. So <laughs> I'm like, oh, that's nice.
0: Yeah, so we see here they're continuing to be closer because they're both asking about each other. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, he says same as you. He's okay. We get a wide shot of the two of them, which I thought it was funny that as she says, who um, who did this? There's a soldier that gets up and walks out. Like, that's really suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> but Kettler says, uh, some soldiers, they've been watching too much TV. And he sits down and we hear a sound of an alarm and hear helicopters. She says, what is that? Take it easy, take it easy. The site's no longer secure. We're standing by to evacuate.
2: I thought it was very interesting that they say they're on standby to evacuate. The doctor says we're on standby to evacuate. We have to prepare for retaliation. So they're not actually evacuating yet, though. They're not actually preparing for retaliation yet. It's, it's instead, the teams are still on the clock to try to figure out this message. And maybe everyone's at red alert, but not actually performing the, the specific evacuating procedures and not actually preparing the actual retaliation procedures and it makes it seem like Weber is giving the team every last possible minute he can before he actually receives the order to leave yeah I I really like the way that Weber is written I really like the way Forrest Whitaker plays Weber I think that it's very different from stereotypical military character in this type of movie He's very supportive and he's very positive about what Louise and Ian are doing. It's not just shoot first and clashing with them, which is how most of these movies tend to have these kind of characters be.
1: She asks again, where's Ian? And he says Weber came and got him maybe 10 minutes ago. He wouldn't leave until he knew you were okay. So yeah, Ian was waiting on her too.
0: It just seems so casual when she asks who did this, and he says, awesome soldiers. Well, we like, They just tried to blow them up and kill them.
1: Right. We don't know what odd. happened to the soldiers. His tone, yeah, maybe a yeah. off. <laughs> but also, those soldiers were involved in a firefight. Maybe some of them lived, and they have we don't know how long it's been I think at all. I think
2: there's two different ways you could take his the way that he says it. One could be that he's just you know long-time military medical veteran, and his seen Mm -hmm. everything and just so everything is just even keel and you know he's a doctor and he's seen a lot he's been in war zones as a medic maybe and so unfortunately he's dealt with so much death and destruction and injuries that it's you know he's been he's just completely immune to getting emotional about it Mm -hmm. or he refers to the soldiers that way because he uses them with such contempt for what they did that some soldiers like like, he's not going to waste any mental energy on even referring to them with any kind of emotion because he's so disgusted by what they.
1: Think. maybe yeah because i mean we do know three of their names sort of but yeah maybe he doesn't want to be more specific or like i've said before this movie's canadian but it's about the american military maybe it's just he he's numb to it like soldiers shoot people sometimes they shoot their own people or blow things up i wouldn't say he's in on it but he might not care
0: yeah, it just seems like he doesn't really care that much. And it's like, those are your people? Yeah. <laughs> like it's...
1: I forgot to check the script on this scene to see if yeah. there's a different, if there's a specific tone to him. But I don't know. I mean, he wouldn't leave until he knew you were okay. Your whole tent is on the clock to figure out whatever it is you were given up there. And we cut to Weber and Ian looking at screens with that cloud of logograms.
0: Yeah, it's like, well, you could have died. Oh, well, whatever. But since you didn't, what did you learn up there? <laughs>
1: Yeah, they have a picture of it. If they want to evacuate, they could evacuate and figure that out later. Yeah. They don't have to figure it out and then go if the aliens are going to get angry. Ian says this is all of it. The feed wasn't interrupted by the explosion, which I would repeat, it should have been. (laughs) But it still would have gotten the picture of this before the explosion. So it's fine. Weber says not as far as I can see. And we get a shot from behind the crowd as Louise walks in. Weber says, you see something? Ian says, oh, I don't know yet. I'm going to need my team to get together with Louise's team. I need everybody working on this. Apparently Ian
2: thinks he's in charge now. <laughs> wasn't everyone already working on it also? <laughs> yeah, they should I thought that be. was an odd line.
1: <laughs> he's just finally admitting that his physics team is just useless. They're going to go work on the words. <laughs> and Louise pushes through and says, we cannot leave. Weber says, we're glad to see you're awake. And Louise says, we need to go back in and explain this wasn't our fault. Weber tells her we can't go back inside we have to whoever says what happened in there was an attack we can hope for the best but i have orders to prepare for retaliation we may have to evacuate louise says no that's the wrong move as long as they stay we have to stay and that's when we hear the uh, thunder kind of sound and we get shot out of the computer room of people reacting to it it's shaking the lights are shaking you get Louise, the crowd, Weber, Ian, some soldiers and Louise walking out, Halpern with two other guys walking out there. We see Weber watching something and we see the reverse finally and see the shell is rising and rotating, but then it stops. It's just higher up. Louise gets a nice beat here because then she just says, well, they're not leaving. So it's going to follow up to her line. And as Weber says, why does this feel worse? We get a musical cue. The track is called Escalation. And then we cut to exterior shot of the base at night, which is kind of nice. And we hear a guy from Langley talking before we cut inside. He says China is on the offensive. They're positioning the military to blow the alien vessel right out of the sky. And we see he's talking to Halpern. If this happens, we can't sit around waiting for retaliation, so get prepared. The Air Force and infantry are standing by. Halpern says, yes, sir.
2: Now they're being told get ready for retaliation when they're talking to uh, Halpern on the screen but they're only doing it because China has issued their ultimatum. Yeah. Before China issued the ultimatum, even despite with them saying, uh-oh, a couple of our guys went rogue and blew up this bomb, we better get ready, they don't actually start getting ready until another country ramps things up. I think that's also something that's different, that it showed the military showing some restraint. They were not already half-loaded onto the helicopters ready to go. They were not already getting the big guns out. 100 yards away, pointed at the spacecraft just in case. It was only after China mobilizes, that then, uh-oh, okay, now we gotta move.
1: Which forward. comes back to China being the aggressor. It's like, yeah. our people and Weber, being that representative, is our military being cautious, which...
0: Isn't really an accurate no. no, it's not, was, exactly. I don't know, it's yeah. just thinking about that, yeah. especially with the mass shooting, mm-hmm. and about just... Well, plus, one of my student groups is doing research on this right now, doing a study on the rise in Asian American Mm -hmm. hate crimes in the U.S. And I realize this is one film with one point of view, but it just makes me think in the larger sense in terms of how mass media can at least influence to some degree if there's been a corresponding influence of China. And I realize Asia is a lot more than just China, but how anti China or yeah. anti Asian rhetoric in films, like if that's been increasing.
1: Which might actually be a problem with, like, we were talking about Kettler's tone earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, you realize what just happened is eight soldiers got together to set off a bomb in an alien ship. Right. And allowed the two civilian scientists to go up there. Yeah, you know, and just Marx stop- did yeah. try to stop them. Yeah. But then they let them go up there. It wasn't like one guy. Yeah. There were eight of them involved, at least. And Then now the movie is like, well, that happened. (laughs) Right, I know.
0: (laughs) I'm like, am I missing something? Because sometimes I'm really smart and sometimes I'm really dense. And I'm like, I I feel like I'm missing something.
1: I think it both is sort of a weakness in the structure of the film, but also not because we're following Louise. Louise is not there for that. She's worried we need to go talk to the aliens and fix this.
0: Yeah.
1: And so who those soldiers were, what they did she doesn't know well she might have figured out there was a gunfire below and there was gunfight she doesn't know there were a bunch of soldiers involved in what happened and also might not care i said kettler doesn't care in a different way hers is a good not caring she's got more important thing to deal with the problem isn't china the problem is these aliens if they retaliate we're screwed we don't know what they're capable of we know what china can do but yeah the rest of the movie this this part is plot point that didn't need to be there
0: yeah, I don't
1: know. I mean, it tells us something about the aliens because Abbott was willing to die, even knowing he was going to. But we can only figure that out after the fact.
2: Yeah, because China is escalating what they're doing. Regardless, they they don't know. They don't know, yeah, they don't know that anyway. yeah, they don't know the, that there's this American group of soldiers setting off the bomb, and ultimately, it's it's China raising the stakes that really is what kicks into the the, the final act of the movie. Yeah, Abbott could have decided now's the time to provide this most important. One twelfth message now it didn't necessarily have to be under you know threat of death to do it yeah it is interesting that it is a little bit of a side plot that i mean i I guess it's a bit of world building that maybe it doesn't affect the larger plot but just showing not everybody is excited that et is here and
1: it it does in retrospect tell us a lot about the heptapods. yes they were willing to get to this point where one of them dies war might break out but they had to do this anyway because it's they're so nice. then is
0: he the Christ like figure?
1: Abbott? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Why did you do that? Fun. No, I'll I'll get that. Fine. Yeah. I will I will get the Kozlovic black scale yeah. uh in maybe next episode. Because oh yeah. 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 He's gonna get a high score. Well, sort of. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> he's he's definitely a good good yeah. candidate for it. I don't know how I'll score on the scale, but yeah. And based on my, you know, puppet thing with the hands, he's the right hand of God that just got cut off. Yeah. So it fits.
0: Right? See?
1: (laughs) (laughs) We might have to get Father David on for that episode.
0: (laughs) The film's setting up a lot of binaries, right? Past and future, although Mm -hmm. it blurs those. (laughs) Math versus science. And now America as the collaborators and the Chinese being the... Like hyper-competitive or violent ones. Uh And so this film kind of playing China as the aggressive, violent enemy with the 150% increase in hate crimes against Asian Americans. I'm wondering how that's played out in recent years. I don't have as much knowledge as of film history as maybe either of you do, but I'm wondering
1: how China has been portrayed.
0: Yeah. Like how Mm -hmm. China has been portrayed in films over the past decade and what influence that's might've had on the American public consuming those films. And
1: I I don't know about (laughs) like since this, but I know from the eighties up to this, it was gradually shifting from Russians because we were against like the cold war, the communists that shifted into Chinese and some, like, Middle Eastern for a while. I don't know how consistent it's been to be a lot of films to look at, to figure it out. And especially this, where it's talking about Chinese, like, sort of political movement and, like, military use versus them as the outright villain. I mean, Shang's not the yeah. villain. He's just an unfortunate thing that's going to make us act or not. Oof. I don't know. But as one of our guests pointed out a few episodes mm-hmm. ago, this movie also came out right when, like, Trump was talking about China as really bad and... Mm-hmm. Then continued to do so, of course, all through last year and leading up probably still. I don't know what he says these days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's not anywhere we can hear him.
2: Well, and also, I never saw it, but a few years ago, there was a remake of Red Dawn. Yes. And while in the 80s, it was, mostly, it was Russia and Cuba that invaded America, mm-hmm. it was supposed to be China. And when China basically said, you're not releasing that movie in our country, which would have you know really hurt the box office, they changed it to North Korea.
1: Which then all they had to change is like the digitally alter the symbols on uniforms and stuff like yeah. that. They, <laughs> mm-hmm. they barely changed anything from what I've heard. And China also has an influence on things like that. A movie going to China will get altered. Mm-hmm. Often by not by like China, some Chinese service doing it, but like Disney has altered movies that they're releasing in China mm-hmm. because they know that's a huge audience now. I don't know if this movie was. As I said, Shang's not the villain, so it might not be bad.
0: Yeah, there's definitely- He's proactive. There's definitely pro-American rhetoric here, though, and a perception of Americans as the collaborators, as the- as the heroes and the Chinese team specifically as being aggressors and yeah. as being violent and as being unwilling to, to listen Which or cooperate.
1: I'll mention it later in the segment, but I think the Russian military was more active first in this movie. We just only mm. saw it on the news. Yeah. There's no Russian character to be the face for that. So mm-hmm. Shang is. It might come down. I'd have to check the script again. How much of it comes from that? Because it's not from the original story. That. This part of the plot is not in the story. It might come down to what his wife's last words are. I forget what it is now, but I think it's a saying in Chinese. And that might have been like how they worked backward to it. They wanted to get to that line and then worked backward to it being the Chinese Hmm. and not the Russians that are a problem. But I don't know. And now at this point, I forgot what that line is because I'm like, I'll get to it when I get to it. So I don't know.
2: Well, you know, very interesting point, because one of the things that I thought about this is that... And it's interesting how you say, you know, you know, showing the Americans as more of the hero and the Chinese as as more of aggressive. This whole thing about use weapon and that Louise is pushing for we're taking it too literally. It may not mean use weapon. Right. It could be utilized tool. Yeah. And the Chinese team appears to not recognize that, and that's why a partial reason and maybe why they're acting. But it's also Louise is the one that says, oh, they taught their heptapods using mahjong and so their two heptapods are looking at this as a contest where there's a winner and a loser the implication is that the chinese team themselves do not recognize that using mahjong could have had this possible effect but louise on the other side of the planet has figured that out and so you know again painting a bit of that you know u.s smarter u.s figuring stuff yes. out yeah other side no it, it
1: that also comes down to focusing on the linguist mm. like we don't know who they have talking to right. right and then we have ian who's a physicist who immediately wanted to learn stuff about their ship how they got mm-hmm. here how they travel she just wants to get to know them and so it's like this really nice positive message about getting to know them is the good part
0: yeah it feels odd though because not that i am in any way very knowledgeable about the Chinese language or or Chinese people. But what little I do know their culture is more collectivistic and their language is not more holistic exactly, but it's different. It seems like their way of thinking would be almost more collaborative or collectivistic and Americans tend to jump more towards like let's let's fight yes. let's be the <laughs> uh, of course so. is,
1: you've probably taught some of these in com class and I know I've I have, but like there's communication errors like that I should have put this in my notes, that flight that went down because the co-pilot or the navigator felt it wasn't his place to correct the pilot. And they come down, it's not just that they're collectivists, but they're also very hierarchical. In case you're curious, the flight I was referring to here is Korean Air 801, which crashed 5th August, 1997. In this case, they put Shang, their military general in charge. Other people might not be correcting him. He might be like, Here, we showed a Mahjong and they liked it. So they kept going with it rather than letting a linguist get in there and do something more.
0: Maybe. But the US is very hierarchical too. Yes. As we've seen with Trump or other politicians.
1: In reality. How many
0: idiotic things could they say? And then his people around him would just be like, yeah, that's
1: brilliant. One of the the early tropes I talked about in this film is that in film, the Americans always bring in the scientists. Mm -hmm. And they bring in the experts and go for the right thing. In reality, I don't think that's <laughs> very <laughs> correct.
0: Well, yes. As we've also seen over the past year, we yeah. are prone to a lot of conspiratorial thinking and a lot of science dismissal mm-hmm. <laughs> in this country. So,
1: Getting back, cuts to breaking news. HWT News, Alien Crisis, Day 27, 3.16 p.m. Mountain Time. China delivers ultimatum. The news says tonight, China becomes the first world power to declare war against the aliens. Following the failure of diplomatic efforts at the United Nations, China has confirmed that its language experts, okay, say that they claim they have some, tonight delivered an ultimatum at the Shanghai site. On the computer, we see the news, and they have a shot of the shell over the water with ships around it, and it has a dark sky, which makes sense. It's 5.16 a.m. in Shanghai, or off the coast of Shanghai. The news continues, in a televised statement, General Shang, chairman of the People's Liberation Army, said the aliens have 24 hours to leave Chinese territory or face destruction. And he urged all other world leaders to unite with China and take a similar stance. And on the screen it cuts to Shang. And then we see a bank of monitors with the disconnected screens, which is not the bank of monitors we saw before. This one is two rows of six, before it was three rows of four. So they have two different banks of these monitors for some reason. Halpern and some other guys are sitting there and the news continues with a huge buildup of forces at their landing sites. Pakistan, Russia, and Sudan are thought to be following China's lead. And we get more news. And this is where it gets my fun for me, because I learned a new thing about Google Translate. We see naval vessels on the news, and this is SO, the symbols next to SO, say TV station in Chinese, or in Mandarin, or what's the written one called, Pinyin? It is 1307, so we've jumped ahead eight hours. And the headline says, uh, in Chinese, the Navy dispatched in the East China Sea. And then another says warships, or I think this is the crawl. Warships from Qingdao and Zhang joined. Zhang Jiang is actually more than a thousand miles away to the southwest, near Henan, almost to Vietnam, but it is the location for the headquarters of the South Sea Fleet. Qingdao, the other city mentioned, is the headquarters for the North Sea Fleet. It's only about 400 miles north of Shanghai. The East Sea Fleet, I assume, is already there because it is headquartered just south of Shanghai, but is not mentioned in the crawl. Then it was the funny thing for me because the next part of the crawl says soybean prices continue for the third consecutive something it cuts off. And I want to note back in minute nine when they were talking about Russian troops mobilizing the crawl said to be final with soy taking a particularly hard hit declining over 10% for the second consecutive day. So they've had this ongoing thing with soy being a problem because of the aliens and I don't know why but I like it (laughs) and we changed to a shot from inside a helicopter of those same ships and the crawl says at the beginning of the month warships with the air force and it cuts off as we smash cut to ian and louise looking at a picture of the cloud of logograms and she says it can't be random ian types something and it cuts to the cloud and we'll see more of that in the next segment so everything's escalating the track playing is called escalation so it makes sense and i learned that google translate can translate chinese symbols out of photos so that was fun
2: it's such a dark movie the the scenes are dark. Oh, visually? Yeah, visually dark. Thematically dark with what happens with Hannah. My, my son even actually complained about how dark the screen was during a lot of the movie. Yes, right? And yet, despite that, I know this is outside my f- five-minute purview, but ultimately, it is an uplifting story. It is an uplifting ending, despite all of the darkness about it. Uh-huh. In 3,000 years, humanity is going to be sort of one community that's going to travel to the stars, in theory, and save this other alien race. And that's an uplifting message.
1: Yeah, even, even the simpler version in the original story is that humanity is just going to be better off by experiencing this moment. Yeah. Okay, that's awesome. And Villeneuve has a tendency to do silhouettes a lot. And in this movie, yeah. that there's so many of those. Yeah. Just trying to get screen caps to put up with the episodes. It's like, well, there's a silhouette of that person. <laughs> yeah. and that, and they all look the same. But there's a lot of stuff going on visually. It's nice anyway. So I guess then the question is, remind the listeners where they can hear more from you.
2: I am the co-host of two completed Movies by Minutes, Flash Gordon Minute and Escape from New York Minute. And Robert was a guest on both of those. So if you like listening to Robert, he's on both of those as well. (laughs) And uh, they're on any of your favorite podcasters, wherever you get them. We have a Facebook group if you ever want to go on there. And I occasionally will even send a tweet out from those two shows Twitter feeds if you want to follow us on Twitter as well. That's uh, that's where you can hear more of me.
0: And if you want to hear a, another show with music, mass media, and politics that Robert and I co-host, you can listen to Pump Up the Minute, which <laughs> was yeah. really fun to do. Yeah, that just happened. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Thank you for listening.
0: Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Five Minute Arrival,
1: or go to Lemmingdrops.com for links.
0: This was the beginning of your story.